Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast, based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon, and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors, Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together, aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice and real world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoyed this, please like it, subscribe or share it with your network. I'm here as usual with Tehi and Bob, but this episode we're also joined by a special guest, Mark Smith. Mark's a rare go-to-market leader who's successfully unlearned his role from managing early revenue of less than $2 million to rapid growth to mega-scale growth of hundreds of millions of dollars. His fingerprints are on some of the biggest B2B success stories in Silicon Valley. NPI, which he led from $500,000 to a $250 million IPO. NetScreen, which he took from less than $1 million in revenue to $400 million. And Arista, which he oversaw from $40 million to $2 billion in sales. Well, I know that Bob is dying to ask Mark questions about his personal journey and his unlearning moments. So I'm now going to hand this conversation straight over to Bob and Tehi. Mark, thanks for being here. It's great to see you. You're one of those rare sales leaders that has evolved from a rep to a team leader to a VP of sales to an SVP of sales at scale. I think a lot of the discussion here today would be around like, what were your challenges? How did you need to change? What did you need to unlearn? But before we get into all of that, let's talk about a little bit about you personally. Like, you know, what led you into sales? Yeah, Bob, um, what led me into sales? I think it had a lot to do with the fact that uh, I graduated university with a liberal arts degree and I needed a job. So I needed to make money. So, um, with a liberal arts degree, what are you prepared to do? Not a lot. So I actually uh, looked in the newspapers and ended up selling junk mail. So I fill all of your guys' postage boxes with uh, lots of junk mail. <laughs> That's a great first sales job. All right. What did you find about like when you first became a salesperson? Like, What was it like for you? Well, I think it was that desperation to pay the bills. I remember hey, being in my yeah yeah I, I tell you I, I remember being in my apartment and having to eat dinner in the bedroom with a light on only in the bedroom so that the landlord wouldn't know I was home because I couldn't pay the rent. So early on, I was I didn't have this great sales skill, but um, I did have this gun to my head that I actually had to make money. Very motivating. So, Mark, you know, you've got a, an interesting background. I've met a lot of uh, non-tech salespeople that want to get into tech sales. How did you make that transition? Yeah, I think that's, to be honest, I think that's actually where the liberal arts degree actually was helpful because you you learned many different areas and subjects and stuff like that. So technology was intriguing, but also you had, you had developed a mindset of learning, whether it was music or arts or whatever, even if I wasn't good at those things. So Mark, roll the clock forward. At some point you were an individual rep and you got promoted to be a sales leader, sales manager. Like when did that happen? And tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, actually, I, I actually got promoted a couple times to regional manager. Um, 
two different companies. And then the, finally, the third company, I finally figured out what it took to be a regional manager. Oh, interesting. So talk a little bit about that. Like that's, that's an interesting comment. Well, you know, I, when I first went from sales to being a manager, it was one of those things of you can either take the job or you can inherit a boss who probably isn't as good a salesperson as you. So your choice, do you want to work for a mediocre salesperson who's now a manager or do you want to take the job? So it was sort of not by choice. It was out of desperation of not working for uh, somebody who I didn't respect. So once you took over that job, like it's a new role, how did you have to change and unlearn from being a rep to being a manager? Yeah, I think the big thing is um, I had to unlearn that it was not all about me and, and my motivations. It was actually about the salespeople and their motivations. So it, like I said, it took me a couple times to, to finally get there and understand that not all salespeople were motivated the same way I was and that I actually had to understand what they were about, what their motivations were and how to, how to get them uh, productive. So how did you figure out that's actually what you needed to change? I think a lot of it had to do, Bob, with the fact that um, I turned over the entire sales team and no one wanted to work for me. It was really an oh, awesome really? situation. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> okay. I mean, sooner or later, you're, you know, you're, the VP of North America comes to you and says, um, excuse me, but you haven't been able to retain a single salesperson. Nobody wants to work for Maybe you. the problem is what? you. <laughs> Yeah, it could be me. Yeah. So that was very helpful. Holy crap. Like, you know, the problem's me. Now what? So you, uh, you know, you, you listen to, uh, at that point, you become open-minded where you were very much as a successful salesperson. I knew everything. And sort of like a teenager, you graduate college, you don't have a job, you know nothing. So now you're open to opinions. Now you're open to advice. And, uh, so I listened to the fact that, uh, you know, I was I was being a jerk and uh, my expectations of people were were not wrapped up in what they wanted or what they wanted to accomplish and where they were coming from. That must have been a pretty humbling experience, actually. So let's talk about the next transition. So at some point you figured out the regional manager job and you didn't stink anymore and you weren't turning over all your reps and you're actually getting kind of good at it now. And now it's at some point you became VP of sales which all of a sudden now you're in charge of the entire sales team. So when did that happen? And let's talk about sort of what was particularly hard about that for you. Yeah, I'd, I'd gotten the, uh, the itch to move to Silicon Valley. I got excited about technology and uh, I had a number of people that said to me, you know, you, uh, you should become a VP of sales. And so I, I was like, okay, well, why not? And, uh, I interviewed with a number of companies in Silicon Valley, moved up from LA and started with a company called Network Peripherals um, 30 years ago. The uh, So what, so talk about that first VP of sales role. Like what was it like your first month on the job? You know, what were some of the wake up calls you had were sort of similar to your regional manager experience where suddenly realized, hmm, maybe I'm not as good at this as I thought. Yeah, it was uh, it was a rude awakening to to come to Silicon Valley to a tech company. Um, first of all, the the two founders were just incredibly bright people. Um, the VP of the the CMO or VP of marketing at the time 
uh, Gordon Stitt was uh, well accomplished and super bright. And the VP of engineering, Daryl Sherbarth, went on to found multiple companies. These guys uh, really knew technology and they knew the technology market. And a CEO who was ridiculously smart. And all of a sudden, here's a regional manager sitting in as VP of sales you in this case (laughs) yeah me and uh i'm sitting there with these people who are so much smarter and and more experienced in tech sales and in the tech space and uh i just was a good salesperson, good regional manager so it was all of a sudden uh uh-oh i'm gonna have to update my uh my game or upgrade my game a lot so where did you find that that was the biggest leap for you? You know, everybody sort of knows intellectually, hey, it's my first VP of sales job. Of course, I'm going to have to up my game. But like, what does that mean? Nobody actually really knows what that means. Like, unpack that for us. Like, what were some details? What were some things that worked, didn't work for you? What were some punches in the nose? Yeah, I think the, the first thing was um, not understanding the other aspects of go-to-market and mm-hmm. how they interacted with sales. I oh, mean, you know, sitting, yep. Yeah, not understanding uh, funnel management, you know, and lead gen and understanding, you know, the, the, the critical nature of understanding exactly where the pipeline was coming from. Because as a regional manager, you're getting all that given to you. Here's your quota. Here's the tools you have. Here's the marketing resource that we're going to apply to your region. Now go compete with the other regions. Now the change, the big change for me was um, there, there is no agenda for sales. That's your job to develop the agenda. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. And I'm like, holy smokes, this is way different. Um, I thought I was just coming to lead a sales team and, and do what I was told. But now I'm the one that's supposed to bring a plan and a strategy for sales and go to market. Interesting. So there's the plan, there's the strategy, and sort of thinking more end-to-end here about how the go-to-market works. Yeah, that is a big change. So how did you learn? How did you figure that out? Yeah, I have to say that um, I think especially uh, Gordon Stitt in marketing was extremely helpful and willing to bring me along um, and help me understand the whole sales, marketing, the critical connection between the two and understanding funnel management. You know, I understood how to do pipeline reviews and forecasting and stuff like that. But now understanding um, what we needed from lead gen, what we needed from, you know, customer um, feedback in order to develop the best products and in order to meet our, our company expectations. So you really learned how the importance of having a really good handoff between marketing and sales. Absolutely. That was that was a critical learning, and I didn't deserve at the table a seat at the table initially. There's no way I deserved a seat at the table. But one of those things, you know, you 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 sort of either thrive or you die. How did you have to change how you spent your time? Yeah, it was a big one, you know, because I was used to spending an enormous amount of time with reps individually. Now that I had learned that I had to understand their motivations and stuff like that. And you don't have that time available to spend with each of those individual reps. Mm. So understanding that I needed to 
convey the, a common message, a common plan strategy to the regional managers and hand off those, the, the deep relationships with the reps was, was a big change for me. Interesting. That sounds hard because it sounds like up until this point, you had actually felt pretty connected to your reps. And now actually part of your job was to deliberately become less connected. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. It also, it also came into, you know, how you felt like whether you were successful or not, you drive to the number. We took our region, my last regional manager job, we took it from bottom to top and, you know, all the accolades, presidents, clubs and stuff like that. And now you don't have anybody to compare to. You're not competing with four other regions. And now as VP of sales, you're competing with expectations. And if you don't control the agenda, the CEO and the CFO will control it for you and drive a tops down uh, expectation forecast, um, um, set the, set the targets, set the, the whole agenda. And that usually doesn't work because their expectations aren't aligned with the actual reality of what you can accomplish with, with the resources you have. So how did that change how you view yourself? That's interesting. Cause you talked a little bit about sort of where your personal self-worth came from there as you became a VP of sales. How did that change how you thought about your contribution to the company and what you were good at? It's such a, such a great question. I think for me, I think uh, earning a seat at the executive table where I was respected um, became the the number one way that I, I felt accomplishment. And mm-hmm. when we got to the point where uh, we had built a model and set the agenda with our sales team around how we were going to achieve the goals and started achieving those goals, that that gave me credibility to actually feel like I was part of the executive team. Interesting. It was less about winning deals and more like, hey, I've got, you know, I'm, I've got a seat at the table here. Absolutely. It was no longer being the, the JV team. That's a really interesting unlearning curve to go from, hey, it's about the deals and feeling connected to the team to, hey, now I'm responsible for the overall machinery and, you know, where my self-worth comes from is earning a seat at the exec table. Like, that's a that's a really big change. Um, like, how long did it take you to figure that out? Like, that must have been, was it nice and neat? You could wrap a bow around it? Was it kind of messy? Oh, I think it was, uh, you know, probably a year to a year and a half of of pain. And, and you know, there was one like seminal. What, like what was going on in there? Like any stories where you just like, you like, oh, man. Yeah, I, I mean, so many examples where, where you're sitting in um, in a meeting and, uh, you know, the, the VP of marketing turns to you and says, well, you know, what what's your um What's your current uh, pipeline look like relative to uh, lead gen? Do you have the at-bats you need? Do you have the, the resources you need to, to get to this number? And you, you're, you're just guessing. You know, you don't have a grasp on the business. And going from that to building a model where we, we had the numbers dialed, where I could answer those questions and we actually, then we were in a position to take the company public. Mark, you've been incredibly successful in transforming yourself. And we went through a lot of your personal experience and how you do that. And now as a go-to-market leader, you've got a lot of people, a lot of young Marksmiths and uh, others and, and within your organization. 
Is there something systematic you could do to help them accelerate their transformation to the next level? You know, going from sales rep to sale, regional sales manager or, you know, to a first-time VP of sales. Just sort of curious, you know, within your organization are things that you could do? I think this concept of franchise owner applies at each level. And you look at the most successful reps today, most of them are no longer that lone wolf, just leave me alone. I don't need any resource. I don't need any help. I'm going to go dominate my territory and uh, crush my numbers. I think the, the, the franchise owner concept of taking advantage of all the resources you have, having a really close connection with your inside sales person and team, including them on your weekly calls, including them on every aspect of the business. You're, you know, a lot of organizations, you have a, a channel person, you have a marketing person. And the, the old mindset was, leave me alone. I don't need any resource. I will go crush it personally just by, by um, dominating my, my territory. Man, the, the franchise owner at the rep level, it's incredibly powerful because you're, you're garnering every one of those resources. You're including them in par- as part of your team. You're leveraging the data that you can get out of sales operations and finance to go after the highest probability customers and win and leveraging the channel more effectively. That applies as a regional manager, building a franchise as a regional manager, thinking in terms of the same concepts of including marketing and product management. If, if you want to get the features you need for your customers, the best way is to include the, the VP of product management in, in the discussions. And he gets personally intrigued and also feels obligated to deliver those solutions for your customers. And I think it also applies at the VP of sales because obviously with so much data available today, now I've got to be able to leverage finance and, and marketing, being able to look at uh, propensity to buy models, being able to look at um, the, the marketing lead gen machine and being able to assess how that is going to play out in next year's plan. And we'll, can we hit the numbers we need to achieve with the current lead gen expectations? And if not, how do we collaborate to go to the CEO and CFO to make him recognize that that's a great number. We're never going to get there with the current lead gen model. All right, let's roll the clock forward. So now you've been VP of sales. You know, that's sort of the Braveheart analogy we've used where you're the battlefield commander and leading the team up the hill to go kill the enemy. But now like there's the VP of sales at scale. So you go from sort of growth to scale where you go from, 20, 30 million to 100 million, 200 million, 300 million, and in your case, like 2 billion. As you made the transition to more like the Eisenhower role, where you're the general of generals, talk a little bit about that. Like, when did that happen and what was hard about that for you? Well, I think it, I think it didn't even happen in, uh, in network peripherals in the first company, um, to be honest. I, th- I think we never got uh, to that scale. It makes sense. Yeah, we never got to that scale. I think really it happened at NetScreen. When um, I, I, I had a much gro- a really large organization growing really fast, and I had to think about 
a lot more pieces, you know, building out uh, an inside sales team, building out a service provider team, building out all these different aspects to the business, um, looking at OEM, looking at uh, technology partnerships. And I realized that, that I couldn't continue doing what I was doing. I was just breaking. There was no way for me to, to spend the same amount of time and energy in, in this, the, just the sales go-to-market team, um, direct selling or through channels. I had to, I had to find a way to, to, to get rid of some of that, pass that off. So like when you said you felt like you were breaking, could you talk a little bit about what that, like, what did you see? What did that feel like? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, part of it was just a time, you know, I was working, you know, seven by 24, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I realized that I I can't get everything done that I need to get done. How big, how big was the like sales organization and go to market organization at NetScreen when you sort of felt this? Probably about uh, 300 in, in, you know, sales and, and, yeah, we had a good size army and, and I was still heavily involved in, you know, in the, in the largest deals and heavily involved in saving sales reps and hiring reps. And, and, you know, and I had, I had built models that were, I will interview every single person we hire and I will spend an hour with every single candidate. It, It just can't scale if you don't start to get smarter on how to be able to assess candidates in a much shorter period of time. So you also talked about the movie 12 o'clock high one time. Could you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I, uh, I had actually one of my, my top regional uh, VPs ever had actually told me about the movie. And, and it was something that I suffered with in a, in a big way, which was I, I felt that I had to be part of the, the club, part of the team and wasn't recognizing that, that leadership is sometimes lonely. Um, and sometimes that's the right thing that you're not part of the, you know, especially back in the day, the boys club, you know, it was very male dominated sales organization and you're part of the boys club. Um, and you had to, you had to recognize that in order to be an effective leader, you actually have to step away and being able to look at the problems, not through the filter, of your good friends that are regional directors who are telling you, here's the problem. And I think one, one really important point in my career is one of the board members at NetScreen, Tom Mendoza said to me, Mark, I think you're doing a good job as a VP of sales, which was huge accolades from Tom. Um, he goes, now I'd really like to see you be a business person. And that Oof. was, that was no longer my job being to try to garner every resource, every dollar for the sales organization and telling my regional managers what a great job I did at taking money away from engineering and marketing so that we had more money in sales to make our life better. It was recognizing that that's not the goal. The, the goal was to run a successfully profitable company. Yeah, you went from sort of protecting the tribe or the team to okay, now I'm actually responsible for the company. Yeah, that's a huge change. Yep. So let's go back to the 12 o'clock high. So you've talked about sort of that movie and the change in the relationship with the people. Like for the audience who hasn't seen the movie, presumably, which most people haven't, could you talk a little bit about sort of what's going on in the movie and why it has some interesting leadership lessons for you? 
Yeah, it it, uh, it actually talks through how you take uh, somebody in the team who is now promoted, and now they're the squad commander. It's like a World War II fighter pilot movie, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's it's um, you know, it's about the same age as I am, so it's perfect. And uh, you know, <laughs> so, but only kidding. Um, but I think the lesson was, you know, that you've got to disassociate yourself from the team, create a little distance because your job is to lead, not to be a buddy, not to be their pals, not to to meet not to meet their agenda. Your your job is to create that agenda. All right, so we've been through these three role changes. You went from rep to VP of sales, VP of sales to SVP of sales. And, you know, there's some messy transitions, a lot of learning and unlearning in there. You know, there's a personal journey that's happening inside this. Like, how did you actually detect that things weren't working? And then, like, two, like, what did you actually then do to change? You know, this sort of detection change cycle, I think, is, it was hard for me. Like, curious, like, what were the things you looked for to say, uh-oh, this isn't working? I think one of the most valuable things was was having mentors um, in, in my life, you know, and, and reaching out and actually being intentional about meeting, hmm. especially with, uh, with the key mentor, Tom Mendoza, who was, a, was an outstanding VP of sales at, at Network Appliance. I think, you know, having that mentor and – and having him know the business because he was on the board and making an intentional meet with him every month and to, to ask for the feedback and, and to, to tell him to be brutal, um, which, which uh, Tom has, has the ability to do that. So mentorship, being a sponge. How about just, you know, how you thought about yourself over this journey? Like, how did that change? Yeah, I think you recognize, you start to recognize over time that those things that you do in the, on a systematic basis, the impacts are such a force multiplier versus the individual events that you do and fl- flying to a show, um, you know, in, in pre COVID flying to flying to shows and, you know, being on the floor and, meeting a bunch of customers is valuable flying to a show and meeting with other companies and understanding their view of the marketplace, their view of how the marketplace is changing their view of, of what they're seeing, the trends they're seeing, how much more valuable is that than impacting, you know, a few handful of customers. And you still, you still meet with all those key customers. You still have the deals that have to get done um, in a quarter, but putting the priority on when you go to an event or when you're on event, what you thought was the outcome. And, and I had a great situation where my wife would say to me, what did you accomplish? That was <laughs> brutal. That was absolutely brutal. When she would Ouch. say to me, what, what's your plan? And then when you get back, what did you accomplish? And it made you think. I love that. Oh, your wife was yeah. your board member. That's yeah, terrific. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, final question for the regional managers, VP of sales out there listening, what advice would you give to your younger Mark Smith self? I think the biggest thing for me was um, viewing 
the CFO, the VP of marketing, um, viewing them as sales targets was totally wrong thinking. Viewing hmm. the viewing them as partners in the business, and people say, "Well, that's that's sort of funny that you would view them as sales targets." But you know, you know, there was there's so yeah, many you were times, just trying to influence them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and you come from a sales mentality where everything you look at is a sales event. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, why why are so many companies the VP of sales is coming in and the VP of marketing is going out over time? You look at it and and it's it's constantly that because they're not they're not collaborating and building um, a company together and recognizing the close inner relation between the two roles. You know, Mark, I, I want to go back to when, uh, you know, your first time as VP of sales at MPI and look at it from uh, the CEO of NPI's perspective. And, and what I mean by that is how can um, a CEO know of a first time VP of sales will succeed like you did, you know, become a superstar or they just will have a hard time transcending to the next level? I think that's a, such a great question because I think it's I think it's a couple things. I think the the personal drive um whether it's the chip on the shoulder you know um i i grew up in a in a situation where we didn't have a lot of money we used to go to the grocery store my my dad used to never have enough money and he'd say do you want to run home and get more money or do you want to stand here with the groceries and i would be like i'll run home i don't want my friends to see me standing here and say why are you standing here we don't have enough money to pay for the groceries and so I think that internal drive, that chip on the shoulder, that that absolute got to win. Why do you have to win is one thing. And then intellect, being able to learn, um, I think is critical. And having the willingness to learn, not letting your ego completely um, dominate the fact that we're building a, a band of brothers and stay out of the way. And we're going to, we don't care about the rest of the organization. We're going to run them over. Well, we are out of time for this episode. Mark, I'm super impressed with your honesty and your sales career. Thanks so much for sharing these and for the film recommendation. For more information on any of our podcast episodes, go to survivaltothrival.com. Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors, Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us. Survival to Thrival.